Welcome to Nerds of the Realm Table, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Dwayne. I'm Jamie. And I'm Sammy. And on this episode, we have one of my picks and a very different kind of structure we're doing today, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, decided to try an experiment. Um, yeah, we went from punk rock to prog rock this week. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get a little intellectual here. Just a <laughs> uh, no, seriously though, we uh, we wanted to do a Christmas movie. It being the Christmas season, and you know, I thought you know a Christmas Carol. Well, which version of a Christmas Carol do we watch? Do we go all the way back to 1938? Do we come all the way to Jim Carrey? Do we pick the Muppets? Do we pick Barbie? Do we go George C. Scott? Do we go classic? Where do we land? So I said, let's pick our own and review that one. <laughs> and we did check before we started recording. Everyone listened. I mean, not listened, but watched a different version. Yes. That worked yeah, that out nicely. And that was interesting. And in the vein of experimentalism here, uh, we all ha- have consumed a version we have not seen before, which I mm-hmm. thought was very, very cool. And interesting. But guys, let's go tell our audience about something they can consume that we've been fans of. Let's go to Keeping It 100. It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. All right, I'm leading off. Well, I'm going to go with a Keeping 100 I've talked about before. But this is a new episode of a of a, a, a trilogy that's uh, been kind of on hang since March, uh, but uh, that soundtrack show—it's a podcast. David W. Collins—he takes soundtracks of TV and movies and just breaks down the music. Sometimes he'll interview the creator, uh, the composers, and and he just breaks it down so succinctly. Uh, he is a former sound designer with Lucas Arts. Uh, so he's been involved in some of the Star Wars video games, and he actually, uh, you know, has really done a deep dive into some of the Star Wars music. But he is diving into video game territory with this one. Uh, three parts. He's broken down the Legend of Zelda, the Ocarina of Time. I know that you know the Zelda music is so iconic. You know, from the from the classic Nintendo game forward, and you go to the Ocarina of Time. And you actually play the instrument to change time, to make things happen in the game. So music is very integral there. And it's such an expansive game, one of the most expansive uh, during that era. But uh, he he done the first two. You can go back and download those. And he just released part three this week. So check that out. Mm. Very. All right, gentlemen. Um, I'm going to start my timer. You know, when we think about ghost stories, you know, we here across the pond tend to always think about Halloween. But in the UK, tales of apparitions and the macabre are actually part of the winter tradition. So this goes along really well with our review of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, because Dickens actually wrote a number of stories based around Christmas took credit for others that weren't his. Uh, But there is a book that I have just finished up called Charles Dickens' The Complete Ghost Stories. So along with a widely known tale of Scrooge and Company, this book also includes other short stories, maybe by 
Dickens or not, uh, The Christmas Ghosts, The Haunted Man and the Ghost Bargain, and Goblins Who Stole a Sexton. So there's other stories, but those three actually deal directly with Christmas. Um, so it's quite interesting to see how Dickens approaches other forms of the genre outside of, Chris, of A Christmas Carol. Um, so this makes Dickens, the complete ghost stories, the perfect choice for reading during the holiday season and this week's Keeping It 100. Those are interesting titles. They yeah. are. <laughs> and like I said, they may be Dickens or maybe not. After I was listening to podcasts to back that up, I was like, oh, interesting. All right. Yes. Didn't know Dickens was that shady. Um, yeah, he, he would take <laughs> stories uh, from other authors and take the names off to publish in his magazines. So. <laughs> All right. Maybe he need to be visited by some ghosts. Uh, <laughs> All right, I'm up next. Okay. Um, so a couple weeks ago, we reviewed King Arthur, and I had feelings. Um, <laughs> but... I do love some King Arthur, and uh, it got me on a path of going back and reading a comic book series called Once in Future. And it is a wonderful reimagining of the entire King, Ar- King Arthur mythos. Um, set in modern day, and it's the writer is Kieran Gillen, and the artist is Dan Morta. Kieran, Kieran Gillen was also a big selling point for me when I started the series. But the idea here is it's set in modern day England, and... England is a kind of a, a special space on, on the earth. Like weird, weird stuff happens in England inside the borders. And, but the weird things get power by being believed in. So they, so there's a secret group that, that tries to like squash all the weird stuff, but they have to keep their numbers in really small because if more people believe in them, they get stronger and they have to keep it away from the public. And so there's all this like skull and dagger stuff, like keeping it, you know, <laughs> making up stuff for why the weird things are happening to the to the populace. And but King Arthur gets loose again, and you know, he's a Briton, and so he hates the Saxons. And so there's like Saxons everywhere, and he's trying to kill all the Saxons. And Beowulf gets brought back, and there's a questing beast, and it just it gets wild, and it's weird, and it's beautiful because Dan Moore, Dan Moore's art is incredible and. It's just a wonderful little comic book series. I wish more people would read. So Once in Futures, my Keeping 100. That has been in my queue on Comicsology for a while. I'm going to have to get around to reading that. I I think both of you guys would dig it. I know you're not the biggest comic book guy, Dwayne, but the way they reimagine King Arthur, especially like the way King Arthur and the Knights work, Mm-hmm. And and the reimagined look of them, I think you'd get a real kick out of it. Uh, it is a, a series I've heard a bit about, and it is on my radar. But yeah, like you said, not being a comic book guy really uh, puts a damper on that. But I do love a good King Arthur tale. Uh, having uh, read uh, the Once and Future King not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, T H White, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, one thing uh, we hope this is not is we hope this isn't one of those stolen stories. We hope Dickens uh, come up with this all, <laughs> all on uh, by himself. Uh, so let's uh, get into, uh, you know, talking about what version we watched and uh, giving some thoughts and grades on those. And Sam, you lead off. All right. So just to mention the, the whole story, as far as Dickens uh, slightly appropriating some of these stories 
was actually in the episode of You're Dead to Me about Victorian Christmas. So you remember that podcast that we've talked about in the past. Yeah, You're Dead to Me. That's a fun podcast. Yep, yep. So there's a episode, there's a medieval Christmas that just released, and then the Victorian Christmas is a little older, but I went back and been listening to a couple of those. All right, but as far as this goes, you know, uh, A Christmas Carol is one of probably, I think, the most iconic and longest-lasting stories of the holiday season. Um, you know, each year I try to watch one version, whether we're reviewing it or not, uh, and I always reread the novella. Um, that's just something I've done. It's it's like my yearly barometer to reset my brain for Christmas and a new year. Um, so the movie version I chose, though, and, and this is what makes this interesting, I had never seen before, as we said, and this is the 1999 Hallmark and TNT production. <laughs> starring Sir Patrick Stewart and Richard E. Grant. Wait a minute, uh, wait a minute. i got to interrupt you just for a second. This is a Hallmark production of A Christmas Yes. Show. So did Scrooge yes. move to a new town and fall in love with the wind? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sorry, Sam. Go, please continue. <laughs> no, it, it, it's perfect. The, the town was going under. Scrooge had to come in and save it. You know what I mean? <laughs> And fe- fell in love in the whole process. I mean, that's what made this so different. No, uh, but <laughs> but uh, you know, obviously, this version, despite being Hallmark uh, pr- Hallmark production, had all the large set pieces. Um, there were a few things that definitely placed it into the uh, TV movie category, um, but we'll get into those particulars. But for now, for this version, I'm going to give it a B plus. All right. Um, well, I'm a little embarrassed to admit that the one I watched is one I hadn't seen before. Um, don't know how it happened, but uh, I had never seen a Muppet Christmas Carol before. And and that is shocking considering the house I live in. My wife is one of the biggest Muppet fans there absolutely is. Um, but somehow this one slipped by me. Um, we've watched, I think my favorite's Muppets from Space. Um, but I know it's not, I think everybody else hates that, but I like it. Um <laughs> but I, I I kind of I'm okay with not having seen it before because I was a dis I was pretty disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of wish it was still hanging out there. Like, you know, maybe I should watch that someday. Um I'm gonna go C plus on it. Um it just it felt off. The almost the entire movie. It felt like something was missing. Um, it felt like a lot of the the Muppet sort of joy and the spark that you get from a Muppet production was missing. And so I wasn't shocked at all when I went to IMDb and did a little bit of uh, trivia research on it and discovered this was the very first movie they made after the passing of Jim Henson. And so I think that um, I think there was some some gloom hang, hanging over the productions this was being made. They were probably still in mourning and grieving. And I mean, a lot of the spark that made the Muppets great was Jim Henson. And so I, I, I completely feel the, his absence uh, in, in this in this production. It wasn't a disaster. I wasn't um, completely bored. It didn't pass the phone test. The Muppets usually pass the phone test. This one didn't. I mean, <laughs> wish I could say it differently, but it didn't. And we'll get into the pan section to see um, part of it. But I just think they they hadn't quite found their way yet uh, without Jim Henson. But it was it wasn't a terrible version of a Christmas Carol. 
Yeah, I remember those early years when you know when Hinston had first passed. Uh, they, they they did have some some definite you know sense of loss there in in their characters, and you know he was he was like said such a heart and mind of the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, he he is his presence is definitely missed uh, even today with the Muppets. Um, yep. Definitely. Well, I, uh, you know, as I was looking into, you know, doing this episode and and, and how we were going to handle this, you know, a Christmas Carol has been re- I seen as early as 1938, and it seemed like every, even now, every, you know, three to five years, a new version will pop up of of, of some version of this tale, whether it's. You know, a, a comedy, a cartoon, a classic retelling in this era, a reimagining, uh, you know, like, like Scrooged with with Bill Murray, you know, that we, that we love so much, uh, and different things. And so I was really curious to where we would all land, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm glad that we all kind of, even though, you know, the Muppets, they still kind of take that Victorian era, you know, try to try to tackle that a little bit uh, there. Uh, and I myself dove back to 1951's Scrooge uh, with Alistair Sim, a, a beloved classic that I had never seen before. And, and uh, I can honestly say that I'm glad uh, I was able to consume this. Um, I know sometimes it's odd when when shows, uh, movies that uh, you know have were either filmed in black and white or had faded to black and white or recolorized. And that was a version that I had found uh, that that was kind of an odd situation, but really the, the, the story was, you know, of course the classic, the acting was, was, you know, 1950 overacting, you know, <laughs> it was what it was. Uh, uh, but, but really this, I'm giving this a B. This was a good solid B. Uh, and, and I think this should be on everyone's radar to at least give a, a watch for, uh, you know, for just for what it is. You know, there's, there's classics that we should all watch. Well, you know what was it needed on the set of any Christmas Carol movie was a fan because Scrooge will let them have any coal for their stoves. <laughs> All right, as we move into our fan section. I had one. It wasn't good, but I had one. <laughs> that was good. That was a great. That was great. As we move into our fan section, Jamie, why don't you uh, tell us what, what made you a fan of the Muppet Christmas Carol? Um, my favorite part of the whole thing were, was the framing narrative of Gonzo and Rizzo. Just their interactions. Um <laughs> It's just, it's so charming. Um, I love every second that they're together, all the goofy things they do. I love the bit at the beginning where they, where they argue about whether Gonzo's actually Charles Dickens or not. Uh, I love the little, the little bit where Rizzo is struggling over a gate, talking about his fear of heights. And then he finally he jumps down, then he realizes he's dropped his hat, and he goes back between the bars to get his hat. <laughs> and even Gonzo tells him he's an idiot. But my favorite part, my favorite little moment is when the last ghost is coming and they're getting freaked out and then they both they look to the to the camera and go all right guys sorry it's too it's getting too scary we're getting out of here we promise to come back for the finale and they leave because it's too scary (laughs) (laughs) it was just every second that gonzo and rizzo were on the screen was it was just charming that's my favorite part definitely definitely yeah they, they have some great moments in there 
Um, like I said, like we were joking before, you know, the whole light the lamp, not the raft. <laughs> I mean, it just cracks me up. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, in my, uh, uh, you know, 1951 Scrooge, a thing I was a big fan of, I don't know how, and I guess this is probably could be a cheat because, you know, it's almost like the style of movies at the time, you know, but that overacting, even though when they're trying to be, you know, intimate or a personable scene, and you can almost see the director like, okay, guys, turn it down, turn it down, turn it down, <laughs> you know, but they're still kind of like, you know, it just, just out there and how vibrant the characters are and a lot of the characters, especially, uh, you know, I, I love the interaction with um, Scrooge and his nephew. Uh, at the beginning when he's, you know, trying to invite him to dinner and Scrooge keeps humbugging him away. And and at the end when Scrooge has his turn and he shows up and just the bravado of the, of the acting style, you know, in this classic uh, type of storytelling is really, uh, I think it, it was real, uh, a good fit, uh, you know, kind of, kind of served the story well. I just was a fan of the way that it was acted and directed. It probably works well too for a, a story, especially when they go for the Victorian setting. You've got mm-hmm. an older older style of acting. Yeah, I think it works. Yeah, and, and some of that we'll I'll talk about even carries over into this the version that I watched uh, with, with you know Sir Patrick and all that. Um, but. As far as my fan for my version, you know, obviously I've spent a lot of years watching Doctor Who and television from the UK. So I always get excited when I recognize actors during the early parts of their career. And this version of A Christmas Carol definitely fits that. You know, obviously we've got Sir Patrick as, you know, my Captain Picard and Richard E. Grant, right? I mean, Doctor Who, Star Wars. I mean, he's one of those guys. Um, but I got to see two actors from what probably is my favorite modern television show, and that's Ted Lasso. Uh, the versions from this classic included Jonathan Swift, who plays the amazing Higgins uh, in Ted Lasso, and Annette Badland, the lovely May, proprietor of the Crown and Anchor Pub. Um, <laughs> so Higgins is one of the the gentlemen who come in need, wanting money for the poor, and uh, Annette Badland is um, Miss, Mrs. Fezziwig. So uh, to see both of them at an early point in their career was was fun. So I liked that part of it. Nice. Well, one thing we do know is they needed a big pan to kick that turkey in. I know we've got a couple pans laying around for this. All right, and as we've rattled through those pans, pans, it might have been a uh, a ghost coming of Christmas, but. I'm leading off here. Uh, <laughs> well, almost, almost well, we could have said Mar- Marley ha- had all of the the chains from the money that he saved. I'm carrying all the pans of the food that I shouldn't have eaten. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. 
definitely. Um, my pen, I really don't have a lot, I guess, as far as a pen goes, but I guess just how even this, you know, as much as it's trying to make us realize the meaning of Christmas, um, it, it I think it kind of misses the mark a, a little bit. Uh, with Scrooge going like so bonkers and just happy and joyous. Um, and we almost kind of lose the looking out for your fellow man part uh, of, of the tale. It just as like, oh, give gifts, give gifts, give gifts, give gift, give gift, give gift. Um, as far as, you know, being, uh, you know, responsible for, you know, your your fellow man. Because if you really look at the the tradition during Christmas at this time, you know, until the last 60 or 70 years, you know, mankind's problem was, you know, scarcity of calories, you know, being able to live and survive. Now you look at us, you know, today we have way too many calories, you know, I know sitting in my seat, but, you know, uh, the, these, the gifts and the taking care of your fellow man during this deepest, darkest time of winter, you know, when, when crops and money and I'm sure food had been put back is probably running pretty low for some families, you know, in need. Um, you know, being being a humanitarian, essentially, you know, uh, I think is what this movie starts out being. But at the end of it, it just goes into just, well, let's just, just friv- frivolously give to the, uh, you know, Tiny Tim. <laughs> Fine. Um, you know, I think as far as a, a pan in general for, for this story, um, you know, we, we sometimes talk about believability, and you get a really quick arc with Scrooge. You know, I mean, that that's just something, I think, from a literary standpoint. You know, the idea of from beginning to end, was it five chapters, essentially, Scrooge has a complete turnaround. They call mm-hmm. them staves, I believe, is what Dickens pompously calls them instead of chapters. Um, <laughs> but... But despite, <laughs> despite that overall kind of thing, uh, I think with my version, the biggest thing that got me was the design for the Ghosts of Christmas future. Um, this is where it felt very stage performance instead of fe- feature film. Um, imagine, if you will, the, the arms at a normal human height but the glowing eyes were about three feet over top with an obviously, you know, contraption that's been built to go on whoever's this person's shoulders. Um, so it was really distracting uh, and just weird to look at because, like I said, it was obvious this was some apparatus that's with the electronic eyes that, that were kind of placed into here felt very stage performance. Um, and to me, that that ghost should be frightening, not funny. Uh, so, and I can't help but laugh every time. These, yeah. these arms, you know, it, it kind of looked like Tim Conway's character from Carol Burnett in the way that the body moved. Um, the way he would point and then the head would be way above. Uh, so it was real strange. So it should be emotionally powerful, but I found it kind of funny. So that was my big pan on my version. Yeah. And, um, that was one of the things about the Muppet version that I, I did enjoy. I, I liked the design of the ghosts. It's my favorite being the, probably the uh, ghost of Christmas past. They put a Muppet underwater and, and filmed her. 
and then transposed her over the footage. And it was it was really an interesting sort of effect. But that is cool. Yeah. Um but my my pan for Muppet Christmas Carol is that um and this might be once again the Jim Henson um absence showing through but the songs were really really bland and forgettable mm-hmm. um yeah and that was a real bummer um it was also bad when the michael kane sang at the end that was that was a mistake um <laughs> <laughs> but they were, they were just uninspired you know there was and there was absolutely no joy in them and i and like i said once once i saw on imdb that this was the very first production after the passing of Jim's like, yep, every, everybody's sad. You can feel it in the production. You can feel it in the writing of the songs. The, there's just no joy in, in, the, in the creative process for this thing. So you, you could feel it in the songs. Right. They're all forgettable. Well, you, you know, Michael Caine did tell us some people just want to watch the world burn. So, <laughs> <laughs> He loved making this movie. I saw like one of the trivia things was like, this is one of his like top five favorite performances he ever did. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Everybody loves the Muppets. And, yeah. and no matter who you are, and as far as caliber of actor, to get the opportunity to work with the Muppets would have to be up there. It's so amazing to me, though, with the Muppets too. The the like you said, the Al, the different actors you hear about who who work with them, how they will find themselves interacting with the Muppet. You know, instead of the instead of the Muppeteer, you know, they yep. they find themselves they 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 inhabit them and you know, they make them breathe and and uh, you know animate them in such a way that they uh, really seem like a, a an alive character to themselves, and they really do inhabit a, a space in our psyche as as their own beings very masterful love the muppets so much love the muppets so much but you know i'm sure there are a lot of things we loved about these movies that we watched so let's go and give them some awards all right gentlemen so i'm leading off with best performance and I'm not giving it to patrick stewart so um, i'm actually giving it (laughs) i know you are waiting for it I'm actually giving my best performance to Richard E. Grant um, because he was Bob Cratchit. Now, take a moment. When we think of Grant, I think a stoic character, maybe a little frightening. I could see him as Scrooge. Uh, But to see him as a sincere, humble-natured Bob Cratchit, uh, I was really worried at first. And but it wasn't off-putting. He did so well, uh, and he played so much more a demure character against Stuart's Ebenezer, uh, and and had that heart playing against you know the the actors like playing Tiny Tim or you know uh, Cratchit's wife or those types of things. Uh, and I was really surprised. Um, like I said, at first I was like, mm, Grant is Cratchit? No, I don't think so. And I was real surprised at how, how it went. So I was pleased. Mm. That would be an interesting casting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes me curious. Because when you told me like that Richard Grant was in this movie, I was assuming he was one of the ghosts. I wasn't imagining he was Bob Cratchit. <laughs> yeah. That's, and, yeah. And that's what I saw. I just saw, oh, it's Patrick Stewart and, and you know, Richard Maybe Grant. it's Marley. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Marley or one of the ghosts, definitely. <laughs> totally. Yeah. But not Cratchit. Yeah. No, 
You just made me more curious about watching this thing now. <laughs> uh, well, I am going to be Captain Obvious on this one, and I'm going to go with Michael Caine. Um, it's easy to get outshone by the Muppets. Um, e- even in kind of a mournful mood, they're still really vibrant. And they're beloved characters. They're high energy. And it is very easy to get outshone by them. And I, Michael Caine steps up to the plate, and he's he's in the mix with him, and he holds his own. And as much as I, I didn't like, I wasn't bowled over by this movie. I thought he was good in it, I, with the <laughs> singing member aside. Um, but he was he was a very good um, sort of ball humbug version of Screech, like the 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 bad version at the beginning. He was very good at that. And then the, the tourney is really fast. And that is the biggest flaw with the Christmas Carol. It is a <laughs> rap, rapid change. Yeah. But he sells it. You know, it's a Muppet version. So, you mean, the emotions do change rapidly in Muppet productions. <laughs> but he, he does a good job selling at the end, like the, the, the humbled version. Like when he goes to the door and he has this interaction with Miss Piggy, who's finally fed up with him. And he wins her over that he's changed and... Um, yeah, he, he holds his own with the Muppets, and that's not easy to do. So I'm going with Michael Caine for my best performance. Well, I'm going to be Captain Obvious also and go with the Alistair Sims Scrooge. Uh, you know, of course, this tale hinges on, you know, Scrooge's turn, Scrooge's uh, reluctance with the ghosts, his humbugness. Uh, you know, everything's a farce, everything's uh, fake. But, uh, when he does have that turn, you know, like you said, it is a very rapid turn. He's what you know, three and a half ghosts in before he turns, and uh, <laughs> you know, three and a half out of four, and uh, before he, he does have the turn. But uh, you know, he it really masterfully acted and uh, a lot of emotion, and uh, you know, that that turn, his character completely changes. All right, guys, I'm seeing where. <laughs> The three different movies. It's it's hard to interact with each other's you know awards and stuff because yeah, it's like we just like sure I'll take you yep. for it. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> and, and especially if you haven't seen the all the versions yeah. we watched, you know, and it's been a while since I've seen the Muppets or the the Alistair Sim version. So yeah. I mean, I don't I don't have it readily in the Rolodex. So yeah, pretty much all I've got is like that's interesting. I'm that's intrigued interesting. now. <laughs> You have to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. So, um, so I'm up first on best scene, and this is very personal for me. Um, it's not going to hit everybody the same way. I'm sure it's no one else's favorite scene for the Muppet Christmas Carol. But I'm a huge fan of Statler and Waldorf. Um, the the Muppet show bit where Fozzie comes out and does his stand-up, and they heckle him from the stands, is my favorite Muppet anything. And so when Statler and Waldorf show up as the Marleys interacting with Michael Caine, it's my favorite scene in this entire movie. It's just great. It's gold. Those guys are phenomenal. I love them. Yeah, I love them. Love them too very, very much. They're probably one of my favorite, you know, top five Muppet characters. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't surprise me one bit, JB, that those would be two of your favorites. <laughs> <laughs> love it love it well i'm, See, I'm I, gonna I, I, go ahead oh i was gonna say i'm more of a bunsen and beaker myself but you know <laughs> another dynamic duo 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to go next with my best scene, and uh, I'm going to go with uh, Alistair Sims' meeting of the ghost of Christmas future. All of the other ghosts, you know, he's he's hiding under his blanket. He's cowering in his bed. And in this one, after the ghost of Christmas present leaves, you know, he, he turns and you see the hand. And he just immediately shrinks uh, his demeanor, his resistance. Well, I guess you're the third one then. You know, and, and he just accepts and goes on and, and views that fate. And as he's asking, you know, are, are these things that are definitely going to happen? Are they carved in stone or, or are these things that just may or, or might happen? Uh, you know, just just that change of character, uh, you know, you see begin to happen right there. And then as the camera pans over and you see this white hand turn to this black cloaked form. Uh, is so ominous, but that was one of my favorite scenes. Cool. And, you know, to me, that that's one of the most important parts in playing Ebenezer. You have to play both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got to show that change from the miser at the beginning to, you know, the, the, the changed man at the, at the end of it. Uh, and that's kind of where my even my best scene comes in, you know, with Patrick Stewart, and and we'll talk a little bit more of this in a minute. Um, I love the change in mannerisms, vocal performance, everything when he approaches Fred and his guests at Christmas dinner at the end of the of this movie. Um, there's just there's a total difference in the way Stewart carries himself. Um, he's so, you know, that, that humbleness comes through, uh, as he enters the room and, and it takes, would take a lot of bravery. I could only imagine, you know, in a situation like that, after you've pretty much thrown him out and pretty much told him that, you know, he needs to be boiled in his own pudding kind of deal, mm-hmm. um, you know, then to walk in hat in hand and, and in this, especially this one, even to look at, at Fred's wife. And just say, could can you forgive an old man who's tired of being out in the cold? You know, and, and it was a touching scene. All right. Well, I'm up first with the my favorite character. Uh, best character to me in this telling of A Christmas Carol was Francis DeWolf, the ghost of Christmas present. This large bearded man with in a red bathroom with fur lining taking screws around it, it just just he was just a character all unto himself uh, just this well screws you know uh, I, I don't know he just really struck me in this in this tale so he, he's going to be my favorite character because he's one of the most vibrant characters on the screen i've already ruined mine i'm going with rizzo i just i, <laughs> I know he's not an actual christmas carol character <laughs> I was torn between Rizzo as Rizzo the Rat <laughs> and Steve Whitmire's version of Kermit uh, as Bob Cratchit. Um, I like them both. But Rizzo, I mean, he just steals the movie. Every every moment that little rat is on the scene, I mean, he steals it. So, Yeah. <laughs> I agree with you completely with Rizzo. <laughs> um, so, best character for me, this is where I did put Ebenezer. 
Um, and, and as far as Patrick Stewart's performance, uh, I put it here with character. Um, and I think part of it is because I could buy him in this character. And I think especially even thinking about his portrayal of Picard and TNG, especially in those first seasons, the way he interacted with Wesley and other children, and he was kind of real stoic and didn't want him on the bridge and all that kind of thing. Uh, he channeled a little bit of that, dialed it up to about 11 for Scrooge, but but he channeled that. Um, and then also comparing that to later seasons, um, when we see a little bit more uh, the heart of Picard, and there's no pun intended in that, I promise, if you know those episodes. Uh, but, you know, the idea that how he does soften up with Wesley and becomes more of a mentor character. Um, I think you can definitely see how Stewart could portray both sides of Ebenezer really well based on performance we've performances we've seen from TNG. So, so Dwayne has already kind of alluded to where my best, the, the part of the movie where my best quotes coming from, you know, uh, when Scrooge encounters both past and present, there's, there's fear, there, there's trepidation. But when the, the, the final ghost comes in, um, he is almost accepting of it. And in this version, the quote I chose is, you know, Stuart looks as his spirit, conduct me where you will. I went forth last night on compulsion, and I learned a lesson which is working now. Tonight, if you have aught to teach me, let me profit by it. So he starts to see how these visits are changing him and helping him. So now that he's finally got to this last one, you know, keep in mind this is before he realizes that, you know, it's his deathbed and all that kind of stuff that he's looking at. Um, he's accepting of it and he's he's ready to say, OK, what else can you show me? What else can you teach me? And I thought that was important in, in the characterization. Yeah, definitely. Um yeah, mine uh, sort of uh, is a, a a little bit of a flip of a coin for that, and it's when Marley is approaching him for the first time. You know, when he when he comes to him, depending on the version you see, you know, while he's eating dinner or shortly thereafter he's finished dinner, trying to nap or whatever, and and you know he's asking Marley, and he says, Marley says, "In life, my spirit never rose beyond the limits of our money-changing holes. Now I'm doomed to wander without rest or peace, incessant torture and remorse." Ebenezer says, "But it was only that you were a good man of business, Jacob." And Jacob Marley says, "Business, mankind was my business. Their common welfare was my business." And then he proceeds to say, "It is at this time of year, or is this time?" That roiling year that I suffer the most, uh, you know, and it, it talks about how Marley finally realizes it was the welfare of all mankind that we should be about and taking care of, not just you know what's on the table in front of us. Uh, my, that quote really struck me in this tale. It's huh. a very good quote. Mm-hmm. You're selling me on watching an old movie. All right. <laughs> so my my best quote is um, from the other end of the story. And it's at the beginning. And I think it, I think it did a really good job of showing how awful uh, Scrooge is. And so it's at the beginning of the movie. And Scrooge is, you know, doing business. And Kermit is trying to um, moderate 
how awful he is. But also he's trying, he's starting to do the thing where he's trying to get him and the rats that do the bookkeeping the day off of Christmas day. But so there's a, there's a little, a little interchange that I really like. It's not the one you think, Sammy, but it's, it's <laughs> I know, <laughs> but there's a, there's a little moment that just shows how awful Scrooge is. So Scrooge says, let us deal with the eviction notices for tomorrow, Mr. Cratchit. And so Kermit says, uh, tomorrow's Christmas, sir. Then Scrooge says, very well, you may gift wrap them. <laughs> that's pretty good Scrooge is that's good (laughs) I like it (laughs) (laughs) that's good I like it I like it a lot yeah well guys over the years there's been uh, some things gift wrapped and handed to us normally around this time of year we get some treats from some TV shows or movies that are pretty fun. So I think we need to start our draft with best Christmas specials. And I get to go first. And I'm going to go ahead and take this one off the top of the list from everybody. Just go ahead and mark it off, guys. Charlie Brown's Christmas. If, it's if not it hadn't on gone list, first, it would have been a mistake. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if, yeah if, it's, if it's not first, I mean, you're wrong. So... <laughs> And also, you've won the entire draft. It's already over. <laughs> it's, it's already over, so we'll just go home. Okay, we'll, just, we'll just wrap it up. We're going to go to Keanu Connection and go home. No. Just play it out the string now. Well, I, I think what makes Charlie Brown so great is that it, it in really this little, barely 20-minute special, it truly sums up everything about what Christmas is and what Christmas should be. You know, from the Eastern Syndicate to uh, I only want what's coming to me, tens and twenties. Um, you know, to you know, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just it's it's the whole gamut, and it's just it's perfect in the way that it's set up. And it walks a perfect line between being sincere without being saccharine, mm-hmm. and. It's tough to pull off, especially in a Christmas special. And it, n- n- there's nothing that does it better than the Charlie Brown Christmas special. It yep. really shows what it's like to be a child during this time of year. Yep. All right, All right. So, so you took Charlie Brown. I will counter with the original 1966, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Yeah. Because anytime we get Boris Karloff's voice, uh, I'm always down for it, and and the traditional original Grinch is just the best. That was the correct number two. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the two right answers in the right order. Good job, guys. And of course, I had to go third. Jamie wants to live for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, what wrong answer am I going to go with? Um, I'm going to go with a more recent modern classic, also a very short one. I'm going to go Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire. (laughs) (laughs) All right. It's it's fun. It's the early version of The Simpsons, so it's it's different than the modern version everybody knows and loves. But, I mean, Homer at his worst. and But we get Santa's little helper joining the family, and it's just, you know, it's, yep, it's a good time. You all took the right answers. So, 
Well, there's actually quite a few more right answers, uh, Jamie, if you'd take a moment to think. I mean, my number two is going to be uh, a Rankin Bass special. You there have are no all good Rankin Bass specials. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I beg to differ, sir. You have all of these great uh, old stop motion uh, animation classics. And I'm going to go with Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. There you go. Yeah. Nope. Get all abominable like himself. Mm-hmm. I don't like that bumble. His <laughs> little eyes that go round and round. Come Listen, Rudolph is the is one of the early nerd does good stories. I mean, yeah, but I mean, everybody's awful, and even at the end, the only reason that like they accept Rudolph, despite you know, because he's a weirdo, right? He's the one that's different. He's a misfit. The only reason they like him is like he's useful. They don't accept him for who he is. It's like he can do something for us, so we'll let him hang around. Yeah. <laughs> and Santa's running was... a sweatshop in that movie. Didn't say it was a moral story. I just said it was a good story. <laughs> <laughs> oh mercy! All right. So uh, second draft for me. Okay. Um, so Jamie went with an episode of The Simpsons. I'm going with an episode of Batman the Animated Series. Season 1, Episode 2, Christmas with the Joker. Mm-hmm. Because there is nothing better than Mark Hamill singing Jingle Bells, Batman Smells. <laughs> and I have that ringtone usually throughout the Christmas season. So. It's <laughs> a good one. Uh, so I'm going to go with another incredibly wrong answer here. Um, it's an episode of Scrubs from season one, the Christmas <laughs> special, called My Own Personal Jesus. And Turk is having such a bad day at the hospital that he's beginning to question his own faith. And by the end of the movie, he and JD experience a Christmas miracle, and he regains his faith, and it's this heartwarming thing at the end. And you know, a great episode of one of my favorite shows of all time. My own personal Jesus. <laughs> Scrubs was fun. Um, I didn't get into that show as much as I should have. All right, guys, I've got a couple I'm hanging out here for number three. Hmm. All right, I'm gonna do what I was gonna do. Okay, a classic, a classic actor, a classic comedian, a classic format. Every year, for I think 932 years, we had these specials around Christmas time pop up from Bob Hope. And you had just, <laughs> you know, every year it was just a plethora of, of, you know, pop culture phenomenon people, you know, A and B list, sometimes even C and D list actors uh, getting together and just making fun and having a good time. I, I, I really miss and I really enjoyed those Bob Hope's, Hope specials were, were a, a, a great fond memory of Christmas's past. I watched plenty of those myself, doing. So. <laughs> I haven't seen a single one. <laughs> you don't know what you're missing? <laughs> we just watched Die Hard to Walk His Goodnight. Here. <laughs> 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 Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon. <laughs> oh... All right. Um, rounding out my number three, I know my my host partners here knew I was going to go with 
this. Up until the Chris Chibnall era of Doctor Who, I look forward every year to the Doctor Who Christmas special. Um, they've become festive specials now um, with Chris Chibnall, so they're always on New Year's Day. It, it's great, but it's not the same. Um, but I think each of the Doctors, 10, 11, and 12 ad specials, each one has a certain one that's really, really good. Uh, so my, my draft will be the specials in general because they're all good in their own way. Um, but each one has has one that's probably, to me, the better of the bunch, uh, personally. Um, so I'm just going to go Doctor Who Christmas specials for my, my third. Okay, you cheated, so I'm going to cheat right back at you. Uh-huh. I'm going to go with a specific Doctor Who Christmas special. Ah, uh, okay. Um, I'm going to go with The Runaway Bride. Uh, okay. Season 2. Yep. The introduction of Donna Noble. And it is my favorite of all of the Doctor Who Christmas specials. And I, I, and I like most of them. There's only one or two duds here and there. But... Even, I mean, the one with Nick Frost is saying is not very good, but I mean, it's Nick Frost is saying it. Um, yep. <laughs> but yeah, but the Runaway Bride is my absolute favorite. And Donna Noble is tied with my favorite companions. Yep. So. That, that is my favorite of the Tenant specials is, is Runaway Bride. Um, Matt Smith is probably the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe because I love the connection to C.S. Lewis. Um, Capaldi is definitely um, the the I, I can't remember the name now. It just it slipped out my mind. But it's him meeting the first Doctor. So it's the twelve and the first to yeah, get together. I remember. So, I don't remember the name of it either. Uh, Voyage of the Damned is really good too. That one's good. Yeah. That one's good. That was my runner up. All right, gentlemen, we've had Christmas specials, we've had Christmas humbugs, and Christmas spirits. So let's see how Keanu connects to Christmas. Jamie, can you pull this present off? Well, I got completely dominated in the draft, so I, I laid an egg there. So I'm, <laughs> let's just keep that train going. Um, this week we have my worst Keanu connection ever. Um, so we've reviewed a bunch of different versions of A Christmas Carol. We've also drafted a series of Christmas specials. <laughs> so this week, I'm completely cheating. And in a combination of laziness, busyness, and frustration, I'm cheating and connecting Keanu just to Christmas. Just There's no, there's no Christmas Carol connection. Couldn't find one. I wasn't willing to spend eight hours doing it. I have another full-time job. <laughs> the early efforts were frustrating and annoying. And so I stopped. And so this week's Keanu Connection is 1986, Babes in Toyland. A Christmas movie that Keanu co-starred with Drew Barrymore and Mr. Miyagi in. So yeah, it's just Christmas. Christmas is the Keanu Connection. <laughs> okay. That's all I got. <gasps> Kaboom. Well, Keanu is a gift we can all get behind. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There it's... <laughs> All right. Well, guys, I hope you've enjoyed our episode of A Christmas Carol and, you know, the various versions of it. Uh, you know, hopefully uh, we've brought some lot, some, maybe some different ones to watch that you may have not uh, experienced in the past. And Sammy, what are we experiencing next week? 
All right. So this episode, guys, we were getting ready for the Christmas holiday. But in our next episode, we are starting to get ready to usher in a new year here at the round table. And I thought because of that, we need to look to the past at a specific vision of the future that could only come from the mind of Arthur C. Clarke. So next week, we're going to be watching Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Q also sprock Zarthustra. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, you can find 2001 A Space Odyssey as streaming if you have a subscription to HBO Max. It's also available to rent for around $3.99 from the usual suspects, such as uh, Apple TV or Amazon Prime. Uh, find it there if you don't have a copy on your shelf. And Jamie, till our next episode. We're going to head to Walmart and buy an entire cube of Mountain Dew so we can stay conscious through 2001 as we keep it nerdy. But I'm going to go with the Ghost of Christmas Present as my favorite character. Hey there. (laughs) That was not the Ghost of uh, of Christmas Present. That was someone uh, uh, honking at someone, apparently. But uh, (laughs) this. uh... (laughs) Honk if you like the Ghost of Christmas Present. (laughs) (laughs) Adventures in podcasting.